Welcome everyone to Music Industry Hangs once again. I am Stu Watts. I'm here with my co-host Bennett Ferguson and coach Steve Canatelli. And this week's guest is Sean Daly. Thanks for joining us, man. Thank hey, you for joining us. Having me. All right. Cool. So for those that uh, don't know who Sean is, um, Sean, do you mind introducing yourself and tell us a little bit about your musical history? Yeah, sure. Um, gee, where to start? People know me as the bass player from a band called Antiskeptic. We've been around since forever um, and we're old. And <laughs> once upon a time, we were big for 15 minutes and it was really good. <laughs> and then I have a side hustle as a amateur music writer, journalist. I have a blog called My India Australia, where I uh, tastefully snob music until I find something I really like and then I write really nice flattering things about it and then send it to the bands. Um, it's just me who runs it. I've been doing it for years as a side fun thing. Nice. And when I want the thing I get paid, awesome. it's, it's a lot of fun because I don't review anything if I don't actually love it. So uh, I get press releases all the time. I'm on mailing lists left, right and center sending me stuff and, I'll give it a, I'll give it a spin, but if it's not like, if I'm not absolutely like stoked on it, I'm not going to waste theirs or my time writing fluff pieces. So when I post something, which is fairly infrequent, it's because I, I'm like tuning it hard. And, um, and the stuff I get paid for is to actually run music and music events and programs for young people. I'm a youth worker. And so a lot of people know me as the freezer guy because I've been doing freezer for like, God, 10 years. Yeah, well, that's where I met you was through Fraser uh, mm. back in the Somerset Avenue days. Um, that's it. That's it. I still very much remember the first time I booked you guys to come and do a show for us at this crummy little hall and um, out in the middle of the sticks. And you guys sh just shredded it. You were amazing. And everyone on right. the show was like, where the hell did you find this band? I'm like, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I remember that night. That was a good night. I'm pretty yeah. sure we did the, I think it was the Battle of the Bands Grand Final and we like headlined it from memory. Something It was in Belgrave or something from memory. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's correct. You got it. Noted. Well, uh, yeah, first yeah. time, I don't know if I actually met you, but I um, was in a freezer when I was in like year 10. It would have been like 2000 and two 2003 ish and you played at uh the mcleod y and I, oh yeah and i helped your drummer um load his drums in and i was so fucking yeah, yeah. stoked <laughs> i was like this is sick i'm carrying the anti-skeptics yeah. drummer's drums man this is so sick <laughs> that's, it. that's it i remember that because there was this um this is great there was a picture of the queen yeah a look a small portrait and it was hung above the stage if you yeah um, imagine this old wooden kind of hall and a stage with a low cut ceiling that came in and um, anyway, picture of the queen hanging up there. And then when yeah. we were rocking out, she fell off. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, dude, yeah. The sound <laughs> was shocking that, in that, that room, room, but fuck, there was some oh, good music back there. Yeah. It was as loud as God and terrible, but we had fun, right? Absolutely. Even if, um, if uh, you want to, oh, Marshall, were you going to, no, 
I was just going to um, say, um, I'm keen to get into some of the um, youth works um, and youth project stuff you do. But before that, I'm keen to touch base on the um, reviewing of music. You've mm. um, struck my curiosity there. What sort of stuff do you look for? Is it something that you'll vibe with in the moment when you're listening to it? Or is it kind of genre specific? Are you like, I know what I'm looking for, um, kind of, and see if they hit it. And also, do you then go back and re-listen to anything, say, like a week, a month later? Have you been like, fuck, that actually kind of hit, hit with me now? Mm. Well... I'm, as I said, a self, self-confessed utter music snob. So I like uh, punk and hardcore metal, but some types I like jazz. I like ambient post rock. I like black metal and um, progressive metal and anything that's pushing the boundaries, really. I like stuff that's either really, really good at what it's doing, enough for me to take notice for it to sound better than a dozen other bands that, you know, are also out there or it has to be really adventurous and really like out there to catch, catch my attention. And um, so, yeah, a lot of it's hard and heavy stuff, but the music that surprises me the most, um, I'm trying to think there was a, there was a, an album last year, um, Bonnie, it's called Bonnie songs by uh, an Irish lass named Bonnie, no surprise. Um, and, her press release came out and I read it and her photo, the, the, the PR photo that they use for her front cover, it's just her with a little, with a snap back on her head, standing on the beach. And it's, it's like terribly indie and super lo-fi. And I thought, oh, what is this? And um, my prejudice got in the way a little bit. I was like, is this just going to be another one of those diamond dozen female folk singers who just, you know, comes along and, and and kudos to them but it's just not my thing right something about about it just had me curious i'm like don't be that guy that fobs it off just because you think you know what she's about um don't don't be a misogynist <laughs> don't be that guy so i click link i open it up and the first thing i hear my jaw dropped hit the floor i couldn't get my head around what was happening it was cello and this haunting beautiful creepy kind of music that's definitely indie kind of rock not really very rock kind of folk kind of not it's just utterly utterly unique and her voice was somewhere between like cat steep or cat power and bjork it's just wicked anyway so I came back to that press release and went, shit, I'm an idiot. What did I do? I, I nearly missed one of the best things I heard all year. And so then I wrote to her and I just confessed. I was like, I'm really sorry. I almost fobbed this off because I'm too stupid to read the press release and give it a chance. And yeah, man, I tell you what, I still to this day, that's like a year ago. That's still a killer, killer album that I nearly slept on. Yeah. Sick. Well, well sorry, you know, I can do that. that I got that feeling and went back and had a listen. Yeah. Yeah. I went back and had a listen and I was like, man, I've, I've just, I missed that one. Damn it. So is it kind of just like this almost unspoken kind of, or it's hard to, hard to pin down exactly what makes um, good music. Obviously it's, it's individual to the listener, but um, there's something about certain, certain songs or certain artists or something like that, that really stand out to individuals. I think that's, what's really good about blogs is that 
people have their own identity um, and just mm. because it doesn't hit on mainstream radio or anything like that doesn't mean there's not great music out there. And that's, um, yeah, that's exactly cool about blogging. Yeah. And I think I was going to say as well, Sean, you touched on something really interesting and um, that's, uh, you know, music that challenges the listener, you know, mm. music that, you know, and um, I mean, my first introduction to that um, was like, you know, your early Norwegian black metal, where it's literally, you know, when you first hear it, you're like, what am I even listening to? This is inaudible, you know, fucking noise. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. just, you know, but then your ear, like, it starts to, you know, become accustomed to it. And you Mm. start to pick up on the magic of it, because you've challenged yourself and pushed your ear in a direction that you may not have done otherwise. And, you know, to there's a lot of like Japanese noise bands mm. and stuff like that that I've gotten into in the last couple of years as well that just really, you know, to most people it would sound like noise, but if you give it the time, your ear does adjust. Yeah, absolutely. You sometimes have to be open to the weirdness of, of new things. Um, I know the first time I listened to hardcore, the first hardcore band I got into was a band called Shy Halad who are now, like, now they're just, like, oh, one of my all-time favourite bands, right? First time I listened to their their album, uh, Hearts Once Nourished with Hopes and Compassion. I bought it for four bucks from JB Hi-Fi because it was in the bargain bin and it looked cool. But I knew nothing about it. And when I put it on, I don't know if you know, have heard them, but, like, they never play the same damn riff twice. It's ever. really weird. They do, like, like, lots of odd time stuff. Yep. Everything's off. Everything's weird. The guy screams the whole time. There's melody, but it's it's suggested melody. And you hear a cool bit and then it's never played again. The songs are just like this onslaught of cool bits smashed together in these little chunks of, of music. And I've got a little I bit of trivia for you. A little bit of trivia for that band. Uh, Chad from Newfound Glory was the original vocalist in that band. Yeah, uh, man. But anyway. His, that album was the one he was on. Yeah. And... I was shattered to find out that he went to Newfound yeah. Glory. I was like, what have you done, man? But, you know, was, yeah, I remember being yeah, so disoriented by that album and, and fascinated, but it made me really uncomfortable. I'm like, I'm not sure if I like this or if I'm angry about it because like, <laughs> I didn't slow down. And yeah, it, it just made me super weird feeling. And I think sometimes you've got to be open to that exciting, not knowing the boundaries. To, to be open to something new. Mm. Nice. So let's um, let's move and touch on the, uh, let's let's move and touch on the uh, uh, youth work sort of stuff. Um, what was sure. it that attracted you to that in the first place? <sighs> Gee, I I I have a long version and a short version of that. We've only, got, we've only got 40 minutes. So. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look, I, I, I live now in the place where I grew up in, in Mount Evelyn. So Melbourne's eastern suburbs up in the hills. I live on a mountain, in a mountain range. And it's green everywhere. Growing up here, uh, it's about 45, 50 minutes out from the CBD. There was nothing to do um, unless you were like Italian, lived on a farm, rode horses or motorbikes or played in the footy club. Um, that's it. It's a, it's a very um, like European settled area, lots of farms, agriculture, all that. So for someone who's interested in comic books and nerdy stuff and uh, 
music and you know subcultures that are big now back then they weren't there was nothing to do even as a skater there was no skate parks nearby i had to catch a train like to go just to hit a skate park so when the opportunity came up to work for where i work now with local government in the area where i work i get to see the outcomes improved for the kids that are living here just like i had except the difference is that someone's advocating for council to make decisions that will you know potentially benefit young people putting their thoughts and their values and their things at the table and in the best case scenario i get to help kids have a seat at the table and share their own voice to the adults so that they listen and so now we've got things like freezer but that that wasn't around when i was a kid not until evs kicked up um you know and all ages gigs started to happen but Growing up out here, there was no gigs. And, you know, it's a real privilege to be able to run shows now, all-age gigs in places where they, they don't happen because I know how valuable that is. Um, you know, we have skate parks in places where we didn't have them. And certainly growing up, there were no skate parks. I had to usually go to an old school or something and just hope the security didn't kick us out. Um, it's all that kind of stuff. It's about making the outcomes better for the kids. And I just have that real personal connection because, you know, I was that kid who was sneaking around, getting up to no good and um, making dumb choices and getting into trouble. And just so, just so it's clear, like those things will always happen, but having the right people there to support kids is, is, is just as valuable. So I just wanted to be that guy. And I'm lucky enough to have that as a job. And I think as well, something that you're really good at, Sean, um, within that whole bubble is you keep up to date with, uh, with what the kids are into uh, as far as music goes. And, um, you know, I've seen you put on gigs, you know, uh, I remember you did Polaris just a couple of years ago, you know, at uh, Murrabark. Um, you know, with yeah. Oh, that was a fantastic show. Yeah. But even, you know, I think, you know, maybe even one of my first shows that I went to that you put on was also at Mural Bark with like City Escape and stuff like that. You've always yeah. been, was that you? Yeah. 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 So like, you've always been really in tune with what the kids want to see. And I think that's, you know, super important because, you know, we see a lot of freezer departments um, or should I say, you know, the youth work departments that are putting on freezer shows, a lot of them half the time don't really understand what the kids are listening to or even paying attention. And um, obviously that impacts on attendance. Um, and then obviously those numbers, I'm guessing, go back to, you know, uh, those numbers are reflected on and the budget's reconsidered. So, you know, the more I'm guessing that, um, but I'm, I'm guessing that, you know, uh, if the more kids attend uh, because they're into the bands that are being put on, then the state government would provide more funding because you're getting results. Would I be correct in saying that? That definitely is the way it kind of works. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a numbers. Um, the money that we get that all of the local government or freezer um, groups get doesn't change from year to year. It's pretty much what it is. So you have to make that budget stretch and you have to make it work and you know, you want to make it meaningful. Um, everyone runs flops, right? Everyone runs gigs that were a punt and don't work for one reason or another, but you want the outcomes to be meaningful. If not for the crew learning 
to put them on. You want them to connect with what people are interested in. Um, and a lot of us use our freezer programs as like a gateway to potentially other services or things that they might not know about or may not have an inroad in. And so whether that's drug and alcohol support or mental health or, um, you know, counseling, or it could be a family issue or a financial issue or a, a range of stuff that all people in youth work and social work do. A freezer event might be the place where a kid learns about a service that runs in their place because, because someone was there to talk to them about it, not bash them across the head when they walk in the door, but just be there, just be a cool person and talk to people. And they go, well, what do you do? Oh, you know, Oh, I'm a youth worker. I run. I'm running tonight. Oh wow! What is what's that? And then you start talking. And having alcohol and other drug workers or mental health workers like Headspace and stuff like that, they come along and support your show. So you want those outcomes to to happen as well. And you're not going to get many of those outcomes if you only got 20 payers to your gear. So you kind of see the 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 conundrum. You've got to run a really cool gig for money but you've also got to run a really good gig to get the people there so you can have those you know, uh, non-quantifiable outcomes as well. Yeah, so it can snowball effect and just, and just keep going. Yeah. yeah, that's I, it. I guess, um, I guess you mentioned that you yeah. said budgets don't change. Um, like would mm. say the budget that Freezer gets this year, would that be the same as it was 10 years ago? Almost. Right. Yeah, yeah, almost. I think it incrementally changed by a small amount uh several years ago but it's a it's it's like a recurrently funded part of the uh portfolio in the state government so you know until it stops working they're not going to chuck more into it and gee it'd be great if they did we know that melbourne loves their arts um a lot of love for the artists and, and our music scene because it's one of their huge you know draw cards and cultural capital but um yeah what was what would be the Here's main thing that you seen change over the past you know 10 years from hmm. i mean not since you're hmm. when you're first doing it you're, you're kind of learning and stuff but more the fact of like what hmm. are you seeing in terms of the community and things like that and people attending and all that sort of stuff what's the difference um a little bit of what what coach said before uh people who come to the gigs now are coming because they love that band or that style or that, that thing, like it's a subculture. There's a connection, an identity, right? So you run a hardcore show, you will only get hardcore kids coming to that. And it's kind of the same two, 300 kids anyway. They just sort of follow the gig scene around and go. But prior to this era, the same would go by the way for like a dance or an EDM show. You are only going to get the kids who want to come and hear bangers and dance, right? So 10 years ago, you could run a gig with an eclectic lineup and you would just get a whole bunch of kids coming because it's a gig. They want to come out. They were, they were there to hang out and experience different things. Um, buy the t-shirt, see the band, maybe someone else go with friends. It was just more of that. What, kind of like a shared experience of community. It was a vibe, a thing to be a part of. And when I was a kid, it was definitely that more so. You didn't even check the gig flyer. You just, yeah. you just knew there was something happening on Friday night down the road. So you went. Yeah. Every month as, you'd as go as to a, the freezer gigs for sure. That was, that was all. You just go. Yeah. Who's on tonight? I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. Go in and see. 
So yeah, prior to where we're at now, where things are more subcultures are more exclusive, and I think people you've got to you got to hit harder to get them to separate with their hard-earned money, and even harder to get them away from home because there's a lot of entertainment at home now, and so you know streaming culture has changed things. Um, things like gaming has become a massive subculture, which I think is closer to what. I grew up experiencing with music and skating where that was the thing. It was really under the radar and it was kind of not accessible for adults. Gaming is, has kind of become that where there's whole communities fostered around it. And it's kind of, it's kind of that under the radar exclusivity that, you know, adults that's can't a, poach. That's a really that. cool point. Mm. It's, yeah, it's kind I, of I hadn't drawn those parallels, but that's really interesting. Yeah. That's a really good and call. The, there are lots of weird subcultures, subgroups like that. I mean, cosplayers are another one and, and pop culture nerds, which I'm one. We love that kind of stuff. And it's, it's super outside of the mainstream. And yeah. You know. And celebrityism so is, is different now. I think like with those subcultures, yeah. the celebrityism changes um, to like yeah. what's appealing um, is more like the gamers and the, and the character based stuff is a real kind of attraction now, whereas it, you know, it wasn't really like, yeah, there were characters in your favorite games and movies and stuff like that, but that's all they really were. You know, only the real fanatics were the ones that were like dressing up and going to the movies at midnight. Whereas now that's like Mm. everyone, all the kids are doing that. Like I sound old. Yeah. I dress up as, um, I, I dress up as Boba Fett from star wars it's my favorite character and i've got a costume that i wear and a helmet and everything and it's it's the best fun especially driving with with a helmet on people drive past you in the car and they look and they do the double take and like oh shit it's driving a car it's probably it's similar to wearing your like footy colors i guess i think what and also you has touched on um you know celebrities have kind of changed and you get a lot of, and I, I, I definitely experienced this in the whole YouTube world. You get yourself made mm. celebrities, people who are literally just creating their own characters and putting them online. Like Kimmy's a great example. Like, I mean, Kimmy Smiles was the one that I played for and, you know, she created this whole persona, took it onto YouTube and made a living out of it for, you know, six or seven years. Um, you mm. know, then, you know, to see, you know, she completely bypassed what we all had to do. And that was go play local gigs, then go do yeah. your corner hotels, then do your festival halls, all that. She went straight to Margaret Court Arena, you know what I mean? Yeah. From YouTube to Margaret Court Arena. And it really shows that, you know, what kids are looking at, um, you know, how do I say this? Like, it's not necessarily Hollywood anymore. They're not looking to Hollywood for that celebrity status. It's like whatever's kind of trending and booming at that time, it could be in the space that week, month, year, whatever, but they're looking in different places now. Mm. I guess potentially because, because potentially because things like when we were young, you only had TV, like, that's really all that you had. So they were the only celebrities that you could really grasp. Whereas now there's everything you can get anywhere on the internet. Yeah. That's it. I mean, we've certainly seen 
the uh, advent of the streaming live streaming thing um, where you don't even have to leave home to see a good show anymore. I mean, it could change. I don't know how things are going with YouTube and Facebook blocking streams and revenue options for artists, but, but I mean, it's there, it's happening. So it'll be a, it'll be a challenge for the new, for the new day when, when we're a post COVID society to get people to come mm. and not just like watch remotely. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. It's, um, it's going to be, I, I saw as well. Um, I can't, there's a new streaming service that's actually not streaming service. Like basically, um, Lamb of God are doing an Australia and New Zealand exclusive um, with Whitechapel supporting and whatnot. And it is a partnership between a whole bunch of big companies. I saw it on um, Chris O'Brien's profile. I can't remember what it was, but um, you know, the fact that there are now these big bands and big companies um, and you know, the, the key players in the industry have gone, okay, this is going to be a little bit of a long haul now. We mm. do need to find another solution. And um, we're starting to see these bigger shows pop up. I mean, even yeah. the da- I was um, watching Phil Anselmo's uh, band Down um, doing their yeah. live stream. It was fantastic. It was mm. literally awesome. The whole thing, it was an event. They had, you know, fans doing their thing. They had, you know, the band doing interviews. They had the live show. And it was really mm. a two-hour a, a two experience, you know. Um, mm. I wasn't opposed to that at all. I thought I would be. I really thought I would mm. be. But after watching it, I was like, this is actually really cool. Yeah. I like the Hands Like Houses one. I really enjoyed watching that one. Yep. Um, obviously, Northlands, you know, uh, concert was, was a success too. Totally. I think, I think Coach, it's funny. The, um, I had similar feelings at the start of it where you're like, fuck, are these online street stream concert, blah, blah, blah. But, um, as they're, they're just going to keep getting so much better. Like they're already, some of them are pretty sick, um, but I think they have their place. It's like, um, you know, live music will still have its place place for people who want to go out, you know, hopefully, you know, post COVID and everything. Um, yeah. But I think in terms of especially Australia, like we were always so limited to what bands could actually come out here financially. Um, so it's like, Hey, if this is going to mean that you get to see a live set from America when otherwise you don't get that option, I think it's dope. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think they all have their place. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, um, it'll certainly be interesting post COVID to see how they kind of go between the live streaming as live shows open back up. Um, it's a, it's an interesting, um, yeah, kind of weaning process. Cause there was that one band from, um, uh, Korea who made something like $1.2 million off of one show. And it's, it's, it's when you, when you look at that, and you go, yeah, making that much money off of one show. They're playing to anyone around the world. I think they had they had something like, um, like eight hundred thousand on Fortnite. Yeah, when Travis Scott played on Fortnite, that was like redonkulous. Yeah, and imagine yeah. like, why would an artist need that doesn't need to tour and doesn't need to travel when they're making that much money off of one show? Why would they do that sort of thing? I mean, apart from yeah. the fact that you're getting mm. uh, in touch with your fans, you know, you're, you're live in person mm. and you're having that real yeah. connection, but it's just another thing that, sh- that says like, you don't need to do that anymore. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I think what it'll, people will, I guess, hope like people will start 
asking why they're doing these things, you know? Like, if you love playing music, you're going to drift towards that music side because that's what you fucking love, you know? If part mm. of, you know, being an artist that, that, like, if it's the YouTuber side of it where, like, it's more of a, you know, you're going to blog your day and you write your music, like, that avenue is now available. Um, mm. But, yeah, I, you won't see bands, I guess, tour who don't like it. If they're like, man, getting together and touring really hassled, I've got kids. Um, if they're like, fuck it, they're not going to do it. Um, but you know, young guys, up and coming bands, guys who still love that journey, that process, like they're always going to be going down for it. But uh, yeah, you'll probably see yeah. less and less people doing the parts of the industry that they don't like. Um, yeah. I guess now it's kind of been subdivided and you can kind of pick and choose a little bit, I guess. I got to admit that does excite me quite a bit because there's a fair amount of, of that side of the industry that I do not like. <laughs> it's, um, there's many things about it. I have not missed. You you talking um, about touring, Sean? Yes, I'm talking about touring. <laughs> it's funny because you know, young, band, young bands are all about it, right? They're like, yeah, let's get out on the road. Let's go. Let's do shows. Let's play. And um, look, yeah, I, I'm all about that energy and that's great. But, you know, talk to me in 20 years and see if you're still excited about it. I it's feel you. Tiring, man. It, it, it costs you. Like, not just time and money but like you miss stuff life stuff and um maybe the biggest the biggest deterrent for me for like i left anti-skeptic well, we finished up in like 2008 as as the three of us and they they later you know got back together and did some new stuff with a different lineup but during that time i knew that i didn't want to be um i didn't want to be hearing about my kids first anything over the phone you know, I didn't want to have to be uh, away on the weekends doing shows and missing out on, you know, my best mate's wedding or a 21st or a niece or a nephew's birthday or um, just the stuff. You There's know, absolutely the, the those thing. sacrifices that, yeah. They're the ones you can't get back. You can earn money back and you can buy stuff back or, you know, all of the, the material stuff, um, you can you can always reconcile that. But... But those moments, they're, they're, they're never coming back. So uh, there was definitely a breaking point where I went, okay, all this touring and hassling and planning and organizing, um, there, there was a point where that, the value system teetered and then just yep. sunk. But I can't do this anymore. I think, I think as well, like it's that classic saying, like, to, look, we've all, you know, we've all done touring. Um, you know, we've all, I, I know we've uh, done it excessively. Um, and I think it's that old saying that obsession is a young man's game. Um, when you are young and you are completely like driven to this, you know, we're going to take over the world and you're just obsessed with what you're doing. As you get older, that becomes yeah. more like, let's leave that to the, to the young ones. They can, they can do that and we will do things yeah. on our own. Well, not on our own accord, but when we kind of feel like it and what makes us happy. Um, and I think that that's, you know, I definitely learned that with the last batch of touring that I did, I did something in the space of like 19, 20 months, I did something between 25 and 30 tours. And, you know, I got to the end of that and it was brutal. It was absolutely brutal and it destroyed me. Um, and I would yeah. never do it again. Um, but yeah. long story short was I kind of felt, you know, I was, I kind of stopped, I think when I was about 33 and as opposed to being like, oh my God, like 
I really, really need to get back out on the road. Like that's my life, all that stuff. Um, it was like bricks falling off my shoulders to a degree, you know, it was like, Oh, thank God, you know, and now I can go do the band coaching, get the mm. same experience and the same buzz that I used to get from youngsters touring and go home to my bed. That's a fantastic thing. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. It's yeah. great. You're, you miss your own bed so much. Totally. I know that in anti-skeptics days, it was, um, uh, that it was all about the firsts, the first, this, the first time you do this, the first big support, the first headline, the first video clip, uh, you know, the first this, all of that kind of stuff. And, and we have a pretty decent brag book. I've got to be honest. And, um, I only pull it out when I need serious cred points and there, there's a lot there, but once you've done it and you've, once they're no longer first, it's that stops to it stops feeding you. You stop getting the same buzz, and then the joy is still there, but it's not the same. So you got to start finding those those deeper, the next tier of satisfaction, or, or um, you know, what what's going to fulfil me in this role here now, and um, that's when it just comes down to making really good music, making stuff that's going to last beyond the moment. Um, one of, those, one of those brag points would have to be uh, getting number one on mp3.com.au, surely. Back in the day. Oh! Stewie's on fire. That was day in the snake booth today, has it, Stewie? You know, it's funny that I started that up. I was, um, was house-sitting and I had internet for like the first time and I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to upload my band's demo to mp3.com.au. It was huge. Yeah, was great. And I did it. I, I, I mean, it took like an hour to upload like one three-minute song. And it was so painful. I learned a lot that night about digital uploading. Yeah, and yeah. Yeah, it's hilarious how, how quickly like wildfire spread. That, that, yeah. was, that was a huge platform back in the day. It was massive, yeah, yeah. I mean... It compares to like your Spotify's and your Facebook music's and your YouTube music's now. Yeah. It's 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 you know, in comparison nothing like it. Yeah, but when it was all we had, yeah, it was the shit. Yeah, totally. And I and I actually discovered Antiskeptic via MP3.com.au yeah. as well as Parkway yeah. Drive. I killed the Parkway Prom Queen, Kiss Prom Chasey, all yep, of that. One dollar short. Yeah, one dollar shot. Everyone, we were all on there. That's yeah. it. And it's funny because we all came up at the same time. Um, like I've got gig posters where it's like, uh, anti skeptic after the fall, kiss JC, I killed the prom oh, queen. Those shows were so sick. Like, <laughs> the shows were crazy. Like we shared the stage with Parkway and Prom Queen quite a few times. Where I look back now and go, God, they like they overtook us like seconds after that show. Um, it's it's hilarious the the back catalogue of, of gig flyers mm. and name drops that are there, and you think, man, what did we do wrong? Why, why didn't we explode? It was our European tour, man. In your own right, anti skeptic, a fucking Australian legend. So don't don't hold yeah, yourself yeah. too yes. low. No, no, I believe the the term is Australian alt rock royalty. Yeah, yeah. Well, there you so, go. Yep. At the co the corner hotel said that. And I'm taking it. <laughs> yeah, take it, mate. It's, look, I, I yeah. think Anti-Skeptic was a pretty, in the early 2000s, um, you guys were pretty influential. I mean, as somebody who was 
um, yeah. you know, already touring at that point, uh, your name would, you know, come up every other day. You know, like you said, like yourselves, mm -hmm. Kiss Chasey, um, even Josh wins again, last year's hero, all of those, you guys yeah, were yeah. all doing something yeah. pretty special at that point in time. And it completely lined up with the demise of new metal and the and the rise of, mm. I guess you could say, yeah, sorry about that, by the way. No, no, that's all right. Don't worry. We've, we've come to the circle. We're back that. to it now. Um, but yeah, I think yeah, it was yeah, really, um, I think it was really important, like for that scene to, kind of come in because it was very much DIY and it said to, you know, what the, I mean, what new metal kind of said to the audience was rock star. Whereas like bands like yourselves, Parkway Drive, Prong Queen, Kiss Chasey said to any kid, Hey, you can do this. And I think that movement yeah. was really important. Yeah. It was like, I'm wearing the same sneakers as you kid. I'm wearing the same ripped jeans for three days as you kid. Yeah, the same band T-shirt on. I'll, I'll meet you at the merch stand later. It was just like every man's music. It's just we were all the same. Nice. Get off stage. Well, we are unfortunately out of time, but thanks, Sean, so much for joining us. It's good to um to Thank learn you. a lot Thank more you. about um you know the freezer scene, the youth scene, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, and I think it's yeah. super important the stuff that you're doing. So. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. Because I watch these thank as you, well. So it'll be weird. Uh, do I watch this? Do I watch myself? <laughs> uh, do you do? Go for it. You can listen yeah, to yeah. it on Spotify. No one will know you're watching it. Critique my own <laughs> comments. Yeah. But thanks right. for having me. It's great. No worries, man. Well, thank you, everyone. Thanks, Marshall. Thanks, Coach. We'll see you next no week. No worries. Catch you next see week. Everyone. Cheers. Stay safe.